Hey guys, it's Callan. Thanks so much for tuning in to Imperfect Me Women. I'm so excited to share Ivy with you and I can't wait for you to hear all that she has to say. She has so much packed into one episode. We're going to be talking about perfectionism and mental health and therapy and positive affirmations and eating disorders and just a whole range of really awesome stuff. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and remember to tune in every two weeks for a new episode of Imperfect Me. Ivy Watts is a former student athlete who appeared to have it all together, who graduated college with a summa cum laude honors and as a top 30 finalist for the NCAA Women of the Year Award. On the inside, struggled daily with anxiety, lack of self-worth, and suicidal thoughts. After leaving an emotionally toxic relationship and finally learning self-love, Ivy is now dedicated to promoting mental wellness and reducing stigma around mental illness by sharing her personal story through her blog, Beautifully Simply You, to empower others to speak their truths, continue to fight for their tomorrow, and know that we are never alone. So... After reading that bio, I am just already inspired, so I can't wait to hear more about your story. So why don't you just start wherever you want to start with that and tell us more about you? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for the introduction. I'm super excited. Um, Yeah, so I was a track athlete my entire life from the ages of 8 to 22, and when I was in college, being a track athlete and really struggling with that had been building up my entire life and not really knowing it was anxiety and being an African-American female, not really talking about mental health in the Black community and always having that fear of talking about the struggles. The anxiety really built up with me in, in college. And being an athlete, there's so much pressure and expectations to show up and do well, both academically and athletically. And I came in to replace a girl who I just ran 54 seconds in the 400, which was my main goal. And she was a five-time national champ. And my coach basically told me I came in to replace her. So from day one, I had told myself that I needed to run that time to run 54 seconds in the 400 or else my entire career would be worthless and I would be a failure. In my entire life, I had always searched for and sought out perfection. I thought that's what I like really needed to do. I needed everyone to see me as perfect. And I needed myself to meet my own ideals of perfection. So to me, running that time was perfect. And I was doing everything possible to to run that time. But at the end of the day, the anxiety had created such a sense of self-hate within me that whenever I would get to any meet, I continued to tell myself that I couldn't run that time, that I wasn't even worthy of running that time, even despite all of the work I had already put in to, to accomplish that and everything that would have told me that I, I would have accomplished that. I held myself back because of those really negative thoughts. And going through college and struggling a lot with not really knowing who I was because track really was the main thing that defined me and really that anxiety taking away from who I could be and that negative stuff, the same as I was saying in my head, really holding me back. It, it It was a dark space to be in when I left college and had told myself from day one that I needed to run that time and leaving college and, and not running that time because the anxiety had held me back. And it was, it was really hard for me to walk away from school and recognize that 
I was really done being a track athlete. I wasn't going to continue on and accomplish some of the dreams I had when I was younger of being an Olympian and, and how to really work through that. And it, it just created this dark space for me because I didn't know who I was with that track. And because I had told myself I was going to be a failure, I, I truly felt that way. And dealing with that regret that continued to bottle up within me that I just wasn't talking about because again, I just didn't want to be labeled. I was just so terrified. That really did lead me down this path where I didn't want to be on this earth anymore. And I had suicidal thoughts for a very, very long time and continued to just try to grapple through these things on my own and being in relationships and surrounding myself with people that were really negative just because that's kind of what I was feeding myself. So it was just this Mm -hmm. negative spiral that I continued to put myself through that really started when I was younger that, you know, just wasn't talking about and in college really just not feeling like I had the the support, even though I did, but not feeling like in the moment I had that support to to open up about the struggles. I was saying to myself all these negative things in in the blocks and negative things as I'm walking through my everyday life and and not feeling like right. I had that comfort, especially with just having my teammates say a lot of negative things about mental really recognizing the stigma just really kept me back and, and created that fear for me. Yeah, man. Yeah. That would have been so hard to go through, especially since it seems like you felt like you had to kind of hide it. You had to keep it to yourself that whole time. Definitely. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I, even though I know now I have support systems that, that are great. I didn't feel like in that moment I, I could let anybody down because when I look back at my track career and I, and I tell you everything I accomplished and you said a couple of things in the bio, it's it, people never would have thought that I was somebody that was struggling right. and talking to my coaches now after the fact, they, they still are, are pretty shocked, but there were a lot of warning signs. I think were just kind of pushed under the rug of that. She's just stressed or having a bad day when we never really had that space, especially in athletics, to ever talk about our struggles. It was just, you need to suck it up, whether it's a physical or a mental issue. You need to get through practice. You need to run fast. You have to get these points. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it never feel, really felt like we ever had that space, um, or at least I didn't feel like I had that space to to open up in my particular right. situation I was in. So you, so you mentioned um, some warning signs that you kind of wish people had picked up on for you to kind of reach out to you. What were some of the warning signs that you now looking back, you can kind of see you had, you had been exhibiting during that time? Yeah, definitely. I think a big one was because I was seeking perfection so much, I started to struggle with an eating disorder in college. And I, and I think it was pretty noticeable that I had lost a significant amount of weight I think that it wasn't noticed as a warning sign of everything that was going on in my life because it was so emphasized to lose weight and to be fit and thin. And and my coaches every day would tell us to get on the scale and that we had to be a certain weight. And so I just started to completely embody that. So when I did lose the weight, it was celebrated rather than looking at, okay, this is probably too much that you're losing. And I was restricting so much in what I was eating and and being very obsessive with over-exercising. And, and it was just always celebrated like, oh yeah, this is great. This is going to help you to run faster and, and lift it, be stronger when you're in your lifts rather than recognizing that I was putting myself further into this dark space. Because now that I had lost all this weight and sure, I, I looked amazing. I was exhausted mm-hmm. and I, and I wasn't running these, the times that my coaches had set out for me to run and I had set out for myself. So I think that was a huge warning sign that was put under the rug just because it was so celebrated to lose weight. and. I also think that we had opportunities at um, our goals meetings every Monday to talk about our races and and where we could do better. But I I think that 
there, there was, for me, I think that I was pretty apparent that I was very upset about the way I was performing. And I think there was an opportunity to say, what are you saying to yourself when you're at the meet? What, what is going through your, your mind? Right. What's happening at school? How, like, how are things? And I think those questions were asked and says like, like, what can we do better on the track or what's going on in this class? Like, where can you do better? But never, you know, what's going on in your mind or are you surrounding yourself with? What are you guys talking about? What are the positive or negative things that you're saying to yourself? And so I think a lot of right. it was, was that too, mental health part of it. Right. It was too much on the technical piece rather than getting right. down and deep. So I think that that's some, some signs they could have seen that, that could have helped more in my, in my process. Yeah. It seems like kind of the situation that you were in was ripe for this this combination that you went through of the anxiety, perfectionism, the eating disorder, it seems like because those types of behaviors, not the disorders themselves, but the behaviors associated with those disorders are so celebrated Mm -hmm. and and actually kind of encouraged in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that it would be so easy for, for that to get overlooked and instead to be something that you felt like was just part of the package. Like, well, this must just be part of the deal for me. Right, right, exactly. And and I think I was celebrating it too. I was always texting my coach like, "Oh, I'm, you know, down to this weight or, or whatever it was." I was always super excited and I was expecting an a, a response that was also exciting as well. So, it was mm-hmm. just it was expected and other people around me were celebrating it. So, I I didn't even recognize that I was struggling and it wasn't till after the fact when I started to really look at my healing process and that I was struggling with an eating disorder because I was restricting everything that I was eating. I remember my mom asked me once to try a piece of food that she was making. And I completely freaked out because I figured that that one piece of food would make me fat. And I couldn't, I couldn't divert anything from the the diet that I was on. So it was, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't in my mind that it, there was a problem because all I was doing was just chasing that 54 seconds. So I was going to do anything possible to run that time. If, whether right. that was not eating a piece of food or, or, you know, waking up super early to do extra workouts. That was, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. So what, so what you thought was just intense dedication was actually perfectionism and a disorder. Exactly. Exactly. But, But on the outside, it totally looked like you were just a really, really dedicated person. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's a hundred percent what most people say to me now, especially just there's a lot of things, and I and I'm I'm thankful that I had all the opportunities to accomplish what I accomplished. Uh, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. when I walked away from college, I hadn't set out what I wanted to on day one. So the rest of those things really didn't matter to me. Which it took me a long time to to kind of work through that regret and figure out how I could be thankful for the other things that I accomplished and see that I did other good things. It doesn't all have to be dependent around this one number. But when I first left, that's what really tore me apart. That I, I allowed myself to, and that's how I felt. I allowed myself to not run that time. And, and it was a lot of other pieces that went into it. It wasn't just, I had allowed myself. There was a lot of untreated behaviors that needed to be right. fixed. Right. You were dealing with a lot of other things on the inside right? that contributed to that. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Okay. So, so you touched at the very beginning, you touched on kind of this dynamic of being an African-American female and how Mm -hmm. that had, uh, that was a factor in you being able to really talk about mental illness and kind of disclose that you're struggling with anxiety and these suicidal thoughts. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, definitely. I think growing up, I definitely always never really felt like I fit, fit in with any particular group. I 
grew up in an entirely white neighborhood. And it was always confusing because when I went to school, I was bullied for not being black enough. And I just never really knew where I fit in. And it, it started this, this also started my desire to be perfect and started to change who I was. But when I got to college and, and was surrounded by, you know, more African-American people and the way they spoke so negatively, and this is when like when I was really struggling the most and the way they spoke so negatively about people with mental illness and saying people who take their own lives are weak and that people are weak and crazy. And just, I remember I was sitting in a, in a car with my teammate uh, who was also black and she was talking so negatively about people who were feeling similar things that I was feeling. And even though I didn't have a name for what I was feeling, I, I knew that sh- I couldn't talk about it because she's telling me right now that these people are crazy and I, and I couldn't be anything but perfect. So I couldn't talk about mm-hmm. that struggle. So I think a lot of it just comes back to being in the black community. You just, you don't talk about that because it's always someone else's problem. Like, you know, us as black people, we don't, we don't deal with those things. We, that's for a crazy person. And we have to just figure it out in a different way. You have to just suck it up. You have to be strong. You can pray about it or, or whatever it might be, but it was, it's never that space where you can talk about it. I'm, and I'm thankful that I have my mom who's super supportive and like now is super great for me. And now that she knows mm-hmm. about the struggles that I went through and, and would have been there for me. Um, I, I think just, I just was so terrified that anybody would look at me differently, but I, I think there's so much in terms of how I grew up with my parents also expected a lot from me. And I think it was always that you have to show up and, and you do your best and you get good grades and you, you do well in sports. And even though I don't feel like I had as much stigma around mental illness as other black families do, I definitely still think it, it was present in that, in that community and that experience is that we don't, we just don't talk about it. You kind of, you kind of just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so growing up with that and then also just going to college and kind of having that experience, I mean, that experience with the, with the friend in the car, when, when you were like, you're really describing everything that's going on with me right now, except you're talking about it in a way that makes me not feel safe at all to disclose mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that must've been incredibly painful for you. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. incredibly isolating. Definitely. Definitely. And and it's interesting because I know that she kind of struggled with similar things that I did and, and having a lot of regret from not accomplishing her goals. And, and I'm not sure what she was saying to herself in her, in her head, but I know that she had a, a lot of tough times surrounded by being an athlete. And it's just interesting that I just think a lot of people who have that stigma around mental illness will always just say it is someone else's problem. And so I created my own sense of stigma around it as well because I believed everything else people had said. And it's, and it's always interesting for me to think about because I was a psychology major. And so I'm learning about mm. mental illness and I'm learning about the stigma and, and why it shouldn't be present and that we all have mental health. But it was the voices of my teammates and the people around me that were so much stronger than the voices of my professor. And I believed the voices of my teammates and my friends that were telling me all these negative things. And that's what that held me back. But it's just interesting to think about, you know, a lot of us are struggling, but we have, we put it on somebody else and we don't ever really look within and see that we're, we are struggling too. And that it's important to talk about it. It's important to get that off your chest. So it definitely was incredibly isolating. And it was, it was sad to know that a friend that I, I had was feeling that way, but it also validated a lot of the feelings that I had at that time. So although it made me feel like I couldn't talk about what I was struggling with, it also 
reminded me that, you know, people with mental illness are crazy. So I, I continued to mm-hmm. believe that, which really deteriorated my healing process while I was in college. Right. Cause then you're basically, it's solidifying for you. Like if I accept this part of myself and don't just stay in denial about the fact that it's there, then that means that I'm one of those people. Exactly. I'm one of these crazy people that everybody's talking about and I can't be one of those people. Exactly. And I think just with being in a new, I was in a new state. I live in Boston now and I grew up in Boston and I um, went to school in Connecticut and just trying to adjust and you want to have friends and Especially being on a on a team, an athletic team, you you want to make sure that you fit in. And so to hear people say that people with mental illness are crazy, and then the the way they're describing people with mental illness, and I know that I'm dealing with a lot of those negative thoughts, and I was dealing with those suicidal thoughts, and to hear that, well, definitely I couldn't talk about it because I wanted to be their friend, I wanted to fit in. So if they're gonna think I'm crazy, will they start treating me differently? Will I be outcasted on the team? Will I still be part of the team? So it just was a lot of things going through my mind that it was just safer to not talk about that struggle rather than to open up about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that continued all four years of college for you? Yeah, it got it got progressively worse as I ended up like getting closer to the end of senior year, junior year and senior year when I'm when I still wasn't accomplishing my goals and not recognizing what I needed to do better, that I needed to seek help, that I needed to work through those negative thoughts, that I needed to learn to like the person looking back at me in the mirror. And, and I, I didn't recognize that those were the main issues. Um, and so it, mm-hmm. it affected me definitely throughout all of college. It, it got progressively worse. Um, and I had been dealing with this anxiety and social anxiety in, in high school. And it just, all the experiences and the, and the added pressure from college with, with track and just so much expectations and stress it just continually got worse. And because I wasn't talking about it, it was, it was the worst towards the end of my career. And, and definitely one of the darkest times once I left school and recognized that I hadn't done what I had wanted to. So, So speak about that moment. When, when for you, do you feel like was kind of your darkest moment? What did that look like for you, your darkest time? How did you know that that was like your low moment? Yeah, I think what my my darkest time was when I had been struggling for a long time with this regret. Um, I was also in a really emotionally abusive relationship that really further put me down and made me believe that I was worthless, even though I, I already felt I was worthless, and it made me believe that even more. And I can I can remember after dealing with this regret for so long, and then I went for a beach run right near the beach, and. I usually love going for these runs and that day something just felt different and I can remember just stopping and just crying and just feeling like I didn't want to be on this earth anymore. And that was the first moment I started to struggle with suicidal thoughts and they were always passive suicidal thoughts in the sense that I never had a plan of how I was going to take my own life, but I always just wanted the universe to take me away. And I can remember right. opening up to the person I was dating and that toxic relationship and immediately being hit with that stigma that I had believed all, all along about mental illness. And I had believed that talking about my struggles would make me weak. And so in that moment, when I was told that, you know, my thoughts were stupid and that therapy was going to be useless for me, because in that moment I said, you know, I was a psychology major. I did learn about therapy. Like maybe it would be useful for me because I know this is not a good space right. for me to be in. It just validated for me that talking about my feelings would make, which shows weakness. And I just continued to 
really hide in silence. And, and it really kept me from talking to someone like my mom or my dad, who would have really through that and encouraged me to seek out help. But because I was hit with that stigma, it was definitely something that held me back. And it was, that was the big, that was definitely the, the lowest point because I didn't really know who to turn to. Didn't feel like I could turn to anybody. And I, and I continued to stay in that relationship because of, of that. I felt like it was just what I deserved. I felt like I deserved to be treated that way because it, it, that's just how, that's just how I felt. I didn't feel like I was worthy of anything. So that was definitely mm-hmm. a very dark space for me to be in. Man, I can't imagine that you finally, finally get the courage to trust somebody with such a right. vulnerable and difficult part of yourself. And then it all turns out just like you, like the worst nightmare you had right, as far right, as exactly. how somebody would actually respond to that. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so definitely it validated for me. I said, I, you know, I, I've been right this whole time. I shouldn't have been talking about it. Um, and so I'm definitely thankful that I was able to see later on that, you know, speaking of about my struggles definitely doesn't show weakness. And that's been one of the best things I did yeah. for myself. But in that moment, it definitely was a, a dark space and, and continuing to be for, for a long while, a good couple of months before I started to figure out what I was what I was really wanting in this world and, and how I was going to get there. And I, yeah. and I knew that I wasn't going to get there in that space. So having to like actually yeah. walk away and, and figure out the next steps in my life. Yeah. So let's, let's go there. Let's, can you speak to that kind of how your journey of how you got out of this space? How did you get out of the darkness and this stigma that you talk about? Yeah, definitely. So the first thing I had to do was to walk away from that really toxic relationship. And I always say that I had to walk away from two toxic relationships, not just with an external person, but with myself, because I was Mm -hmm. just so toxic to myself. I was telling myself all these negative things. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I absolutely hated myself and I was full of regret. And I wanted to figure out what else was available in this life. I wanted to figure out what my identity was outside of track and if I was capable or worthy of anything in this world. So I started therapy and not necessarily reluctantly, but I was terrified. I had just a casual conversation with a friend and she was telling me that she was in therapy, she was struggling and it's been, it was useful for her. And it just came up very casually in conversation and that was the push that I needed because she also looked like she had it all together. If I, if I had told anybody about my friend, nobody would think that she was struggling. And that's how I felt about myself when I started to look inward is that most people don't probably don't see that I'm struggling, especially right. my parents who know me very well. They've never really asked those questions. So this was really the breakthrough I needed. And so I started to look up therapists in my area and it was super, super terrifying to go and, and speak to her and not really having any expectations, not really knowing if it was going to be useful for me, but just really walking in there and being open about what I had been struggling with and the dark thoughts I had been having and leaving the first day and not really feeling like I made any progress because we talked about very surface level questions about what was your childhood like? And I didn't really feel like I was like, okay, this didn't really do what I wanted it to, but I knew that I needed to make a change in my life. And so it's like anything that you do, you have to be diligent about doing the work. And so I continued to go back every week and I continued to have those tough conversations and to work through that and to figure out a lot about the relationship I was in and the, the, my relationship with being an athlete and just working through all of that regret and trying to replace it with something more positive. And so right. I'm really thankful for therapy and I'm really thankful for affirmations because 
really didn't like anything about myself and doing affirmations and telling myself things about me that other people had said they liked about me or loved about me and learning why they said those things, what, what, what really made me kind or what made me a hard worker and things I hadn't believed before. I didn't think I was worthy of that recognition. Why, why are people saying those things about me? And once I could start to see the why behind some of those statements, I started to believe them and I started to actually like those qualities about myself. So it was me being intentional about waking up every morning and looking in the mirror and telling myself that I loved myself and I was beautiful and writing down things I was grateful for and writing down things that I loved about myself, even if I didn't believe them, but just doing the work to learn to believe them was really beneficial for me to start to see the beauty within my life. And therapy was a really great push for me to do that. And so I, I'm yeah. thankful for both of those uh, things. And it's, you know, it's definitely still a journey. It's definitely hard, like dealing with the eating disorder and having body image issues still to this day and dealing mm-hmm. with the, the constant negative things that come up in our minds just because, of, especially for me, I was just wired to be that way for so long. I'm just used to that. So having to right. be intentional about continually going to therapy, continually writing down my affirmations, continually pushing myself to get out of my comfort zone and really continuing to tell my story and, and recognizing how strong that that is. Because once I started therapy, I was able to see that when I talked about my struggles, it was, it was allowing me to heal. I wasn't doing what I had thought it was going to do for all those years, show weakness. And it was once right. I was able to talk about it and see how I could help myself is when I started to think about how can I help other people once I started to heal myself. So I really recognized mm-hmm. how strong it was for me to tell my story for my own good and, and you know, potentially for the good of others. So that's, that's what really helped my healing process. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like you spoke to so many awesome things there. Um, I love that you talked about how the first session of therapy was kind of awkward right? because I think a lot of people go through that. They're like finally getting up the courage to go to therapy and then they come out of the first session and they're like, uh, I, yeah. like, I don't know, like what's the big hype? I don't think anything actually worked. And exactly. sometimes that can be a really big deterrent for people. But like you said, sometimes, I mean, the therapist is just kind of getting context and just trying to gather information about like, who is this person? And then a lot of times the second or third session is when you start really diving into things and you start to see, okay, okay, I'm getting the process now. I'm starting to see where this is going. Exactly. Exactly. And it's almost like dating, you know, you go out on a first date and you don't really, (laughs) you're just asking like those very surface level questions and you don't really know. And then you continue moving forward and then you might make a connection or you don't. And I think it's also something important to know about therapy. I got lucky that my therapist and I, after that first session of, you know, the awkwardness, we did make the connection and do really value our connection to this day. But Mm -hmm. some people have a harder time and you have to navigate that and figure out, you know, if this person doesn't work, you know, let me break up with them and then try somebody else. So (laughs) I think that's that's important to know, too, is that even though some people have a really great experience with therapy right off the bat, like you might not. And that's okay. And Mm -hmm. it's important to stick with it, though. Yep. Yeah. There are some therapists that people go to and they'll love and they'll say, go to, go to this therapist to their friends. But then the, th- the friend could go to the exact same therapist right. and just not have that connection. Right. You're exactly right about that. It's very important to shop around and find somebody that you really can trust and be comfortable with. Exactly. Exactly. So I was definitely thankful that I, I got hit the jackpot from the beginning and that my therapist has been helpful with me and providing me with tools and, and techniques to continue to push me to, to, to get to where I want to be and, and be as positive as I can and really be okay with when I'm struggling and know that, you know, the anxiety is, is a part of me, but it doesn't define me. And then I'm going to continue to move forward. And the experiences in my past just have made me stronger. So 
definitely thankful for that. I love that you kind of spoke to how, even though you've been to therapy and you've done all this really hard work for yourself, that there are still things that you struggle with Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not the interesting, I think a lot of people think with therapy that you go and there's a certain number of sessions. A lot of times when I get clients that call me, they're like, you know, how many, how long is this going to take? Like, right, right. like, give me, give me an idea. Six to eight sessions. Like, what are we talking? And I know that they just want kind of have that expectation. Right. Um, but it's very, very difficult for me. I usually am like, I, I won't be able to tell you that for a while. Like it depends exactly. on you and exactly. kind of the work that you need to do. And a lot of times, like you said, it's this give and take. Sometimes you feel like you're at a good place where, you know, you don't need therapy for now mm-hmm. and you've you kind of gotten to this comfortable place and then something comes up or you start struggling with something. It's not like this, like, um, end all thing. It's not like, hey, your leg is broken, but now right. it's healed and you're good to go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. It's more of a maintenance thing throughout over a lifetime mm-hmm. where you start to realize like I have these certain issues that I'm always going to struggle with. But if I can maintain kind of the treatment of those issues, which is therapy, then my life will be better off. Exactly. A hundred percent. I completely agree with you, especially because Recently, I felt like I was doing really well, and me and my therapist agreed that I would just contact her when I felt like I I needed her. And I walked out, I was feeling all confident. Things were going really, really great. Like everything, you know, when that one moment everything is going right, like work, social life, everything is going perfectly. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, something does happen, and you're like, you know, oh, no crap. Like I I definitely feel like (laughs) I. I need some somebody to talk to and like in a non judgmental way. And I definitely have my friends who are supportive, but you also, I think with therapy and what's really important is, at least for me, is it's just that one hour to talk about me. And I have somebody that's sitting across from me that's listening and sometimes doesn't say more than just, "Uh uh-huh, yep, I understand. (laughs) But it's just giving me that time to, you know, just have that conversation. And I always say I could have talked to my wall and gotten pretty much like the same thing, but would I have been intentional about doing that? No. So it's important for me to get in my car, go to therapy and and just have that hour that, you know, somebody's listening to me and understanding rather than sometimes with your friends, they might not understand or they might not, um, they might say something about them instead. So you don't really feel like you had that space to completely get whatever it is off your chest. So I definitely think it's important that I am very open with my therapist in terms of like right now things are okay, I'll give you a call, but then also when I, when I do need you, I, I, I know that you're here for me and I, and I feel confident enough to, to reach back out. I'm not ashamed that I'm struggling now because it is, it's, it goes, it comes in waves. Some days are really great. And then some days are definitely not so great. And so I think it's important to, to know that you have that resource on, on both days when you want to talk about good things or you want to talk about things that aren't that great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's really awesome Yeah, and a really important thing to talk about. And you also talked about kind of your journey with positive affirmations Mm -hmm. and how healing that's been for you. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, no. Affirmations have been absolutely huge for me. I try my best to continue to to do them every single day. And and I do notice a difference with myself when I don't write down things that I love about myself. For me, I've really recognized the, the power and positivity and the power of what you say behind that I am statement. Because when I was an athlete and telling myself that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of running this time. I, I acted that way. That's exactly what what happened because my my brain was telling me, and it was going past what my body had already been doing. All the physical aspects of it, I was telling myself in my brain that I wasn't good enough. So that's that's how I acted. And 
So now it's, it's important for me to really know the power of that positivity and to write down those statements, especially when I'm struggling to write down that I am beautiful, that I am good enough, that I'm worthy of everything in this world. And even just those saying mm-hmm. those three small statements, um, they definitely make a difference in my mood and it doesn't change the entire problem, but it just makes me feel a little bit better about myself and know that I can get through whatever I've, I've gotten through. So it's important for me to kind of just take a step back, write down something positive about myself. And it does make me feel a little bit, be- a little bit better because a lot of times I can blame myself for things that I don't really need to blame myself for. So it, just kind of taking that step back. And it was a, it was a really long journey with affirmations. It wasn't something that I did and I wrote down and I believed it took me a long time to start to even believe them in the, in the smallest sense. And I think it was right. a good like eight month to a year process and it sounds kind of long, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it, I think I was just for so long, like 90% of my life, just being so negative with myself that it, it took a while and being diligent about doing it every single day. And of course, you know, there's, I'm human, like there's days I miss, but being, you know, just definitely, I noticed the difference on those days and, and just being diligent and intentional about writing down those positive things has been super monumental and changing my mindset about who I am and what I bring to this world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I'm a big fan of positive mm-hmm, affirmation. Mm-hmm. How did you, you, you talked about how you um, came to those. And I was just wondering for anybody that's listening that might mm-hmm. want to know more about how to find the affirmations that are going to speak to them. What was that process like for you? Yeah, I, I honestly had no idea when I started. I remember I woke up in the morning one day, just really sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, mm-hmm. I just looked in the mirror and I, and I said to myself, the first thing that came to my mind that I thought might help. And I said to myself, Ivy, I love you and you're beautiful. And I literally got nauseous when I said that because I didn't believe it mm-hmm. at all. And so it was really just kind of figuring out what worked well for me. Like I used to write down three positive things about my day, but that didn't really work for me at that moment. And it was because it, I was still looking at something external rather than looking at like, what can I like about myself? And so then right. I just had to start writing down. I just wrote down a prompt. I wrote down, I love myself because, and I would just start writing down different qualities that other people had said about me. And I think it's, it's different for everybody. I, I re- recently ran a self-love workshop and I, I did the same thing. I wrote down on a card for people. I wrote down, I love myself because, and they had to fill out the, the rest of the prompt. And you know, somebody said that this doesn't necessarily work well for me. I Mm -hmm. don't think in this way, I would probably say that I just, I am a hard worker. I don't necessarily love myself because I'm a hard worker. And I said, well, no, that's definitely understandable. I think everyone's process is is different. And you, you learn as you go of what affirmations work well for you. And if it's just saying I am worthy or I am a hard worker, then that's awesome. If, If that makes you feel good about yourself, then that's awesome. For me, that that works well for me too. But I really like to see that I love myself because because for so long it was I hate myself because and right. something negative. So that's what really worked well for me. And it, it wasn't necessarily from a, a prompt or anything. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I saw things on social media over the years that had had positive statements, and I, I'm sure my brain kind of just spun off from there. But it was mm-hmm. really just what I what I thought I needed in that moment was what what can I learn to like about myself? And then it turned into what can I learn to love about myself? So I think to anybody who's listening, definitely just being patient with yourself is so key and trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's the best way for me to practice self-care, to practice self-love and to really just be who I am and to be okay with that and know that we yeah. all have a bunch of flaws, but I'm going to learn to love myself through it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it seems like for you, the journey was kind of at first, 
very difficult to believe, but just kind right. of trying things on. It's almost like you were trying this outfit on of like, right. can I be this person who loves herself? Can I do that? Is that a possibility? Mm-hmm. And at first it didn't seem like much, right. <laughs> but the more you tried that outfit on, the better it fit and exactly. the better you realize, oh, this is really part of me and I can really believe this. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you said that like it took you a while to find exactly how that phrase spoke to you best and that Mm -hmm. that's going to be different for every person because I think Mm -hmm. that's very true as well. Mm -hmm. So just kind of experimenting with it, being patient with the process and Pinterest has a wealth of positive affirmations. That's so true. Yeah. Um, So so that's a great place to start if you're just needing some brainstorming. Right. Yeah. And and self-love and self-care is definitely on the rise. I think on social media, people have a Mm -hmm. lot of different things that speak to that. So I think there's a lot of resources people can just Google and kind of just start figuring out what to what might work for them. And I just think it's important. Maybe you follow somebody on social media and they're your idol and you, you, they, you love how much they practice self-love and you go and you buy their self-care, self-love book or whatever it is, but you don't, it doesn't resonate with you. And it's, I think it's okay. Right. But even though that person is your favorite person in the world, that just because it works well for them, it might not work well for you. So I think it's yeah. ju- definitely, there's so much, so much at your fingertips to just go online or, uh, and just figure out what works well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ivy, for allowing me to kind of share your story with everyone and for being willing and open to sharing that. That was really awesome. Just as kind of a a closing um, thing, what, I mean, you've kind of given a wealth of advice, but what would, what advice would you give to somebody who might be in that same place that you were in back when you were struggling in college and really going through that dark place where they don't feel like they can talk to somebody and they don't feel like anybody around them is as trustworthy for such a vulnerable thing. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say to always remember that you are not alone and that there's always somebody out there that wants to help you, even though it might not seem like it. Speak up to somebody and if somebody, the one person that you talk to maybe hits you with that stigma, just remember that there's, there's somebody else and that that person really isn't, isn't there to, to be part of your story. And unfortunately, they might knock you down, but there is somebody out there that really loves and cares about you and wants to see you get the help that you need. And so just always remembering that you're never, you're never alone, that, that we all are, are struggling at some point. And it's, it's really important that even if you can't you don't, you don't feel you can speak to somebody figuring out a different way that's going to help you to, to heal, even if that's writing down your feelings or, or whatever it might be. But just knowing that in this process that things will get better if you can continue to fight for you. Yeah, I love that. Things will get better if you continue to fight for you. I think that's awesome. If you guys want to find more from Ivy, um, she has a website at www.beautifullysimplyyou.com. And she also has an Instagram fa- mm-hmm. page, which I follow, and it's great and very inspirational, and I really enjoy <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> so you guys can find out more about her there, and I just really appreciate you being willing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks to my listeners. I'm so glad that you guys tuned in today to listen to Imperfect Me Women and got to hear Ivy Watts' story. Go ahead and tune in in a couple of weeks. I'll have another awesome woman here to tell her story. And if you want to find out more information about Imperfect Me, you can always look at my website, imperfectmewomen.com. 
and that has my contact information. Feel free to shoot me any questions or emails, or if you would like to be interviewed or know somebody who could be interviewed on the podcast, I'm always looking for awesome women willing to share their stories. So feel free to just shoot that information my way and I will see you guys in a couple of weeks.